I wonder if you have a hero, or perhaps even when you were growing up, you had a hero. It might be a footballer who you always wanted to be able to play like. It might be a singer that perhaps you always wanted to sound like, or a musician who you always wanted to play like. Or it might be a celebrity you want to look like, or it might even be a preacher you want to preach like. Well, that, that last one's a bit niche, admittedly. But it's very easy in life, isn't it, to have people who we look up to. To have people who, in a sense, become our hero. But for every person who, if you like, makes it, who becomes like their hero, there are thousands, if not millions of people, who sort of fall by the wayside and don't make the grade. The last verse of Matthew chapter 5 is, is one of those verses that I guess for a long time has perplexed me. Because it's, it's, it's a very difficult verse, actually. And we're, we're right at the end of Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about Jesus's teaching, about kingdom living, all this radical stuff about blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, and all these kind of amazing things that Jesus has said throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And then this alarming verse. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You might find yourself saying, well, hold on a minute, Jesus. Some of this other stuff, yeah, I get that. Some of this other stuff I can possibly even put into practice. But perfection, perfection, I wonder how it makes you feel when we even say that word. Paula Gooder, writing for the Bible Society, says this. There must be a few people who rise higher in their chairs and comment smugly, I already am perfect. But most of us regard the command with dismay. What is more, we don't just have to be normally perfect, we have to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh great, why don't we all give up now? It's like trying to be our, like our hero, but on a whole different scale. Is Jesus here just setting us up for a life of disappointment? A life of constantly failing to make the grade. Now, there are some Christian traditions, largely that come out of the teachings and ministry of John Wesley, that would say that actually in the life of the Christian, that the Holy Spirit can do such a work that even in this life, Christians can attain a degree of perfection. But is this really what Jesus is asking for? I don't know if you find in life that there are some things that you do that you just never get to the end of. Um, I was cleaning the house the other day and no sooner do you get to the end of what you think you're doing than you find something else needs doing. Or it might be perhaps you're, you're into gardening. You know, this time of year when the sun comes out and then it rains shortly afterwards, the weeds go into overdrive and you've sort of, you've cleared one um, flower bed and then literally a couple of days later you go back and it all needs doing again. Or it might be that you're on a, a keep fit drive and, you, you know, you're going out jogging and you think, well, how far do I have to jog before I get to this elusive fitness level? Or perhaps something that's close to my heart, you know, learning to play an instrument, practicing the piano. How much practice do I have to put in? That you, you just keep going, you keep going. There is no end in sight. Anything that's based on human effort, where we're trying to achieve some kind of goal, some kind of perfection, is actually a really harsh taskmaster. And it's the same in our spiritual life. If we try and have a journey of faith with Jesus that is based on what we think we can do or on some kind of legalism, actually runs the risk of just wearing us out and undoing that kind of resting in Christ 
that we were looking at last week. We can easily fall into some kind of guilt cycle that says we're never good enough. Bad Christian, must do better, must try harder. It's actually a really unhealthy place if we get into that position. But going back to the musician analogy, a few years ago I remember chatting to um, somebody I, I know who is a, who's a pianist and they'd been playing the piano for a piano concerto with an orchestra. And they'd done this performance, that they'd learnt this piece, I say to perfection, almost to perfection. But during the performance, as often happens, in fact when it's me playing, as always happens, wrong notes creep in. Now that normally, you, you just try and hide them and you keep going. But this person was playing a piano that unknown to him had been mic'd up. So there was a microphone hanging over the piano. What he didn't realise was that this was picking up every noise that he made. Every time he played a wrong note in this concerto, he grunted or sighed or made some other audible sound. So echoing round this great big concert hall was this grunting sound, this sighing sound every time he hit a wrong note. And if you like, those grunts, those sighs were the disappointments that actually perfection was out of grasp. You know, in life, we all play wrong notes, don't we, if we take that metaphor. We all do things that fall short of actually the standard that that we we would hope to be able to live in line with what Christ would want us to do. And as Christians, if we try and do this in our own strength, if we try and hear what Jesus is saying and say, must try harder, must do more, must keep going, actually we will just find ourselves disappointed playing all these wrong notes. So what is Jesus talking about? What does he mean when he talks about perfection? You see, this is the same Jesus who in John 8 verse 36 will say, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Where's the freedom in these verses about perfection? Or let's see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 where he writes really beautifully, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, what Paul does there is he acknowledges Christ. He says that everything that we have is from him. But in this life, we have to live with the knowledge that we're fragile. We are jars of clay. We, We are prone to becoming broken. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, let's cast our eyes a little bit back over the verses we heard read to us this morning, and let's see what we can find out from those. If you've still got the Bible in front of you, look at verse 38. What Jesus does is he takes us through a series of ethical questions. And the first thing he talks about is retribution, and he he goes back to quoting the law, Exodus 21, verse 24, where the law of Moses stipulates an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And what what this law was was there to do was to limit violence. In a world that was incredibly violent, what the Lord wanted was for people not to go beyond that that had been done to them. But Jesus then applies it into the heart. And he says, actually, don't just do an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but respond peaceably. If somebody is violent, don't respond in like manner. Verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, don't just give them your shirt, but give them a coat as well. Go beyond actually legal requirements and get the heart of what God is about, the generosity, the peaceful nature of God's heart. 
if someone asked you to walk a mile, and this is talking about Roman soldiers here, and they could ask people to carry military equipment down these sort of Roman military roads. And if a Roman soldier comes and says, will you take this a mile? Say, I'll take it another mile. I'll, I'll do the extra. I'll go beyond. And we see all these different kingdom values about the way that we're called to live. I want you to think for a moment. Think about the time in your life where you were the most contented. Just, I'll just pause for a moment. Just think about that. When were you most contented? Perhaps you're now thinking about a particular holiday that you went on. Or perhaps you're thinking about a time when you did a certain job and everything just seemed to be going really well. Or perhaps you're thinking back to the time when you were at college or at uni or even back at school. Or perhaps it's a time when you moved into a new house and life just seemed really good. I can't imagine for a moment that any of us thought, actually I was most contented when I fell out with my best friend. Or I was most contented when there was a lot of tension in the home life. Or there was a lot of tension at work and I was at loggerheads with my boss. I can't imagine any of us said I was most contented when I tore shreds out of somebody and assassinated somebody's character. You know, often these things like revenge, like anger, like hatred, like getting our own way, we sometimes feel that they can bring us back control. But actually they're just illusions. The way of Christ is a very different way. Our ways often make us more miserable. Jesus' way brings us freedom. God's way, the way of kingdom living, seeks to reverse violence, reverse hatred, and demonstrates the will of God in our life. So are we any closer then to asking Jesus' question, answering Jesus' question about perfection? Well, this is where it gets interesting. Well, interesting if you're into what words actually mean. And the word here, the original word in the gospel here is the word teleos, the Greek word. And it is translated in different places in the New Testament as not just meaning perfection, but meaning whole, meaning mature, and meaning complete. So in a sense, this is about who we are in Christ. It's a relational word. It's not a word about us achieving something. And there is an echo here that Jesus has as well, right the way back to Leviticus eleven forty four, where God simply says, be holy as I am holy. So perhaps we start to unpack this puzzle about what Jesus is talking about. Perfection is not so much about us trying to be flawless and trying to, to not have any faults and, and trying to think that somehow we can be sinless. But it's about perfection in terms of our heart to emulate Christ. Perfection in terms of our desire to do the will of God. Diane Tidball, who was the president of the Baptist Union, um, something she said a number of years ago has always really stuck with me. She said, the happiest way to live is to be holy. Don't know how that makes you feel this morning, but the happiest way to live is to be holy. You know, sometimes we can think of holiness in negative terms. You know, mustn't do this, mustn't do that. And it becomes about rules and regulations. But actually, holiness is about seeking after the will of God, seeking to live life as if Jesus is living it. You know, I would suggest this morning that the places where we're most content are where we're at peace with God through what Christ has done. Working that through, we're at peace with ourselves. We're then at peace with those around us. Peace even with our enemies. And holiness is this very earth, earthy sort of thing of actually making the godly choices 
in each and every situation. So what if Jesus is called to perfection? And I really like this phrase. See what you think of it. Is as R.T. France calls it, a life that is totally integrated within the will of God. I'll just say that again. A life totally integrated within the will of God. A life lived following after Jesus. Jesus, who is perfect in every sense. Jesus, who fulfilled the law. Jesus, whose righteousness is counted as ours when we are found in him. A life that is lived out in grace through saving faith. A life that is being transformed by the power of the Spirit. A life directed by and following after the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not about us trying to achieve something. But it's about sharing, delighting in the will of God. And it's a life of true freedom. I wonder this morning as we've looked at those verses that that really do deal with some very difficult issues about violence, about hatred, about loving enemies. I wonder if actually in your own life that there are times when some of those issues that have bubbled to the surface and actually we need to do business with God this morning about those things. It may be in your own life that you've allowed hatred to, to sort of come in and actually you're not integrated within the will of God in that area. Can I encourage us this morning, if, if that is us, to, to come again to the cross of Jesus, to come and put down our own desires, put down our own will, and say, actually, Jesus, I want to emulate you here. I want to emulate the perfect character of God and to come to God in repentance and faith. We're now approaching the middle of the summer. I honestly do not know where this year is going, this strangest of years, certainly the strangest year that I've ever lived through. And this week, um, we got a letter as ministers, and it went round to all the churches across the Northwest Baptist Association. And it was from Phil Jump, who is our um, regional team uh, minister, our, our team leader. And he was just asking churches to consider taking August as a time for reflection, a time for sabbatical, a time for sort of exploring how, how we are going to, to serve Christ in this world that we find ourselves I think the reality for many of us, and I'm not just saying this in a church setting, but in so many different contexts, we have been in crisis mode since March. It's been true in education, it's been true in the workplace, in many of our home lives, with our finances, with not seeing friends and family, all kinds of plans that have gone out the window. And it may be today that actually we're we're feeling quite despondent, quite robbed of, of a significant part of the year. We've been concerned about our health, all kinds of different things. I I won't sort of go on with that list. But why not spend the next few weeks, rather than focus on those kind of things, actually focusing on Jesus and on aligning our life with the will of God? I've given ourselves, if you like, a spiritual MOT, a spiritual health check, allowing ourselves time to just rest and recoup in the presence of God. Is our life integrated this summer? within the will of God? Or actually, are we going off in different directions? So I want to leave us this morning, really, with just a few questions that will appear on the screen in a moment. Just things for us to chew over, to reflect over, as we've looked at these words of Christ this morning. I'm I'm going to read them out as well as just leave them on the screen, because I know a number of people are just watching this, or uh, just listening, sorry, and not watching this. But perhaps you just want to sit quietly and just think about these four things as I read them out. So the first thing is this. Is my life integrated within the will of God? 
Secondly, and this is from last week, is my soul at rest in God? Thirdly, how can I spend time this week and throughout the rest of August seeking God in my context? And fourthly and finally, is there one thing this morning from this passage that I actually need to do? Might be you need to put something right, having heard what Jesus says this morning. So let's just leave a few moments of quiet, of silence, and then I will pray for us as we reflect on these various things. So let's just have a few moments of quiet. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our righteousness. Thank you that you fulfilled the law. Thank you that you are perfect. We just pray this morning that we may find our lives fully integrated within the will of God. We just pray for space over these next few weeks. We pray that we will find the time. We will carve out the time in our busy and sometimes chaotic lives that actually time to rest in you and to reevaluate our life in Christ. May we be found in you this summertime. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.